out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World on this gorgeous July day. Hard to believe we're already in the middle of July. Things just keep moving so fast in this accelerated world that we seem to um, have created for ourselves. Today, uh, we're going to highlight more news of what's happening in wildlife conservation on the ground, where communities and projects are engaged in creating new models and considerations in living with their wild and non-human neighbors and bringing more awareness, solutions for endangered species, and reiterate some of the challenges we still face. In my last episode, and many others, we filled our listeners in on many of the positive strides and effects that our work, global conservation, and animal movements are having, such as the condition taste aversion and lion work in Botswana. You can tune into last week's episode to learn more about that. Of course, I always enjoy hearing from my listeners, so you're welcome to call in at one 866 or send me an email at wildize at wildeyes.org. So today, I'm going to start off with some good news for elephants and head into breaking news about what's going on with rhino conservation. Uh, in elephants, uh, I'd like to introduce you to our newest grantee as of this month, Space for Giants. You may recall Dr. Max Graham, the founder of Space for Giants, when he was a guest on Our Wild World a couple months ago. If you're not, be sure to listen to that episode to learn more about what's going on with elephants. And here today, I'm going to fill you in on some of their work and what's being done. The primary goal of Space for Giants is to prevent illegal killing of elephants for ivory in Laikipia, Kenya. They accomplish this through improving the monitoring of illegally, Ill, illegally killed elephants across the Laikipia County through participatory and standardized data collection, platforms between researchers, local ranchers, and other NGOs, including the most important resource, the local citizens. 
This aspect is augmented via outreach and education elements of the program, which encourage participation in the work, transferring the knowledge of the importance of elephants to people and their landscape and their economic future, while also discouraging the killing of elephants for ivory. Some bad news was reported by Space for Giants in March that there was an armed break-in at their offices in Nanyuki where they lost most of their valuable, valuable equipment, which had the debilitating effect of rattling the nerves and conviction of the team, uh, but they still persevere. This is an ongoing problem as we face economic challenges and poverty in our world and uh, the disparity between the have and the have-nots, not only economically, but in terms of wildlife and the ability to do something about it. Furthermore, in April and May, it came to light that the government, Kenyan government, plans for a huge power line cutting through the heart of Lykepia's elephant stronghold. There's really no telling the impact this construction will have through this corridor. Of course, it will help people, but it may not fare as well for the elephants. It will certainly bring uh, to the stage more work and more efforts uh, for the team on the ground to monitor the killing and tracking of elephants. Through hard work support uh, from international organizations and governments, Space for Giants has been able to significantly scale up investment into security for wildlife and tourism within the wider Lycopia ecosystem. As uh, escalating threats are being faced associated with the flourishing trade in wildlife parts, ivory and rhino horn. To help keep this in check, Wild Eyes is funding support to further the on-the-ground monitoring and presence through 17 community wildlife scouts for Mike, the monitoring of illegal killing of elephants, which identifies poaching hotspots. They continue to support that they, being space for giants, continue to support for the Lykepia Community Policing Initiative and associated rapid response teams. Since the rapid response team was put in place, over 15 armed security incidents have been responded to, with 20 arrests made and 12 firearms recovered. The impact on poaching and armed security incidents has been remarkable, with poaching levels down from a high of 22 elephants illegal illegally killed per month in March of 2012 to an average of between two and three a month in 2013. So this is a great positive stride, but as you can see, we still have a lot of work to do. At least uh, part by part, uh, the management and monitoring of killing of elephants in some areas is getting a handle or a handle is being gotten onto it Whereas in other places, we are still facing huge losses of elephants, such as Savo National Park in the southern part of Kenya. Space for Giants, in conjunction with partners, has created a mobile phone app, uh, which is so incredibly exciting, and it has now reached its field trials. This app enables the team of scouts to enter and record incidents of human-wildlife conflict on their mobile phones. All of these reports, together with the movement of individual collared elephants, can be viewed in real time through the mobile phone app or through the Space for Giants website. This effectively creates a real-time window into the human-wildlife conflict situation on the ground. This remarkable achievement enables timely management decisions to be taken, and once fully operational, the hope is this app can be used to support elephant projects elsewhere across the world.
This mobile phone-based app, which live tracks elephants and is a huge benefit to scouts, is now undergoing its field tries, trials, revolutionizing the way we monitor and report conservation activities forever. In May, the Prince of Wales and UK Secretary of State for the Environment, Food and Rural Affairs hosted an international meeting to devise a strategy for combating illegal wildlife tracking. Space for Giants CEO Max Graham attended a sister event held at the British High Commission in Nairobi. These two events have led to an exciting collaborative initiative to support a training workshop and associated manual for the Kenyan judiciary on combating wildlife crimes. Last but not least, lobbying efforts on the international stage has contributed in raising global awareness, leading toward positive decisions being addressed to tackle the ivory poaching crisis through various venues. The 16th COP CITES meeting in Bangkok, which I've previously discussed, held this past March, was an important tool in bringing global attention to the scale of the illegal trade in ivory and the impacts on wild elephant populations. The scientific report that were presented unequivocally confirmed that elephants are on the brink across their range as poaching becomes more industrialized and militarized. So the challenge we face is um, not only a growing uh, poaching scale for a consumptive demand in ivory and wildlife and rhino horn products, but also on the flip side of that, we are seeing a huge increase and a shift in awareness about what this means to on the ground uh, economic benefits and future. People are taking part and getting involved and through organizations such as Wild Eyes and our grantees such as Space for Giants, we are able to scale up and ramp up uh, the work that's taking place on the ground. So it is critical that we have the public support. It's all well and good to love animals, but we need that love turned into action. And you can support any number of incredible conservation organizations and projects out there. You can certainly support Wild Eyes and their projects. We target funding to specific projects that will ramp up and be duplicate, uh, replicable it's hard to say duplicatable, um, replicable elsewhere across Africa as we implement uh, new technology and new uh, forms of engaging people to get involved in conservation. There were several important outcomes from the COP16 CITES meeting, including a requirement that the eight countries most heavily implicated in trading illegal ivory submit action plans for addressing this issue. Those countries are Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, Malaysia, Philippines, Vietnam, China, and Thailand. In addition, CITES agreed to form an ivory enforcement task force, explore DNA forensic technology, techniques for sourcing and aging ivory seized, seized and, put in the pl and put in place annual reporting of ivory stockpiles, among other interventions. There were also encouraging, though loose, commitments made to tackle the demand for ivory. But CITES, it seems, is also not immune to power plays and economics. I'll get back to this in a bit when I discuss rhino and uh, what is happening with rhino today. 
other good news on the international scene showing support for not selling ivory, authorities in the Philippines announced that they are destroying more than five tons of cached ivory. This is the first time an end-user market will destroy their ivory stockpiles, removing it from the consumptive market. Kenya did something similar in the 1970s and in 2010 when they destroyed their ivory cache from poached and natural death elephants, preventing it from ever entering the markets. As most of us aware, are aware, it is China and other Asian countries, and I'm sorry to say the United States, that are the end users of ivory and elephant trophy. China is currently engaged through both government and NGOs in public relations campaigns to raise awareness through a variety of means geared toward cultural perceptions and the use of ivory. You can search the web to find out just how many strides forward are happening. Yes, there is still a legal ivory trade in China, but through a change of perceptions not only by the Chinese, but every range state that has living elephants, and the crisis the elephants are facing in survival for the near future, future is making big news and headlines around the world. So in this case, conserva conservation work is being successful in bringing attention to the crisis, and people around the globe are listening. So now to get into uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly about rhino conservation. We have, now have a new glitch to contend with. Just as we thought we might have a handle on protecting rhino in the wild, the CITES meeting and somewhat address the issue, South Africa has just announced that it wants to legalize the trade in rhino horn and is asking CITES to get involved. CITES, uh, just for... Uh, for you uh, that may not remember, is the Convention on International Trade of Endangered Species. They are a part of the UN Environment Program, and they are the regulatory body of what animal uh, what and wildlife parts can be tra traded uh, across the world. And it includes following the Endangered Species Act and uh, monitoring uh, who is doing what and where with wildlife and wildlife tracking. Interesting, this is this announcement by uh, South Africa to legalize the trade in rhino horn is, ha, has interesting timing, as there was no public mention of this at the CITES March meeting. Could this possibly be political maneuvering while trying to keep a low profile? Well, this hasn't worked as the news has sparked across the internet, but the debate is certainly an interesting one on a variety of levels, from knee-jerk emotionalism to economics to conservation success or failure, and to the folks on the ground who have rhino to spare. The first consequences of the announcement to promote rhino horn trade by South Africa have hit the airways and the print. Messages from across the world are coming in that many people who would go there as tourists would no longer do so and would rather spend their tourist money elsewhere. That economic loss alone would be huge, and that is only the beginning. The fallout from this decision will be felt for years to come and at an untold and unknowable cost for people and for certainly rhino. After all this hard work, lives lost, rhinos lost, and international NGOs supporting rhino security, what does this decision by South Africa tell its rangers, police officers, judges, and magistrates who are now starting to get really tough on poaching and sentencing? What do they tell the many thousands who are educating the Far East on the folly of rhino horn use? 
Most of all, who will benefit from this decision? The rhino? Or will it be the few with vested interests? The ranchers, the breeders, the commercial interests, the syndicates, and of course, the end market user. You can search the web or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to find out more, along with many links to the great rhino debate and other wildlife conservation issues and efforts. But for now, I went about researching a bit just uh, what message this decision by South Africa has set in motion. I found several comprehensive articles, one by Melanie Gosling, a South African environment writer and journalist, who gives some facts and poses some interesting questions. She found that the International Fund for Animal Welfare, IFAW, says South Africa's decision behind selling 18 tons of stockpiled rhino horn is an attempt to flood the market and bring the price of rhino horn down. However, this could easily backfire and put the rhino population in greater danger. IFAW Regional Director for Southern Africa believes the government's proposal to ask CITES to sanction a one-off sale of the country's horn with a black market value of about 11 billion rand will not make the illegal trade go away and may even stimulate the market to want more. It's a very dangerous experiment and could easily be detrimental to the rhino. IFAW and many other orgs believe the South African government's economic argument is naive and short-sighted. As we do not know the parameters of the illegal rhino horn trade, how can we say what the effect of selling stockpiles of illegal trade would be? Most experts think the reality is no one would be able to control illegal trade, as currently the Chinese and Asian markets are not even able to control the legal ivory trade that they have, let alone get a handle on the illegal markets and syndicates who are already stockpiling ivory and horn for investment, sort of as a hedge fund on future demands. It is very possible that legalizing the trade could put more rhino horn into the hands of these syndicates who would hoard it to control the price, and then what would be the point of a legal trade? Doesn't this sort of remind you of the blood diamonds issue and finding uh, where controversy and conflict where diamonds are coming from and puts the burden on the end user to find out where diamonds are coming from. How do we go about legalizing and monitoring and regulating and uh, the paperwork to track legal rhino horn versus illegal rhino horn? Currently, the international trade in rhino horn is banned under CITES. However, the South African government plans to ask CITES at its meeting in 2016 to sanction this one-off sale of the 16,000 uh, kilo, 16, kilograms of the government rhino horn stockpile that's currently in private hands. Uh, we're going to take a break right now. I'll come back to this issue and talk about some of the effects this will have on conservation efforts and the future. And if you'd like to call in at one 472 5788 with your comments, I'd like to hear them or send us an email at wildize at wildeyes.org. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big. 
scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up, our forests don't grow, our communities go hungry, our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect, it's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back. I'm talking about some recent uh, headlines and news that's shaking up the world about uh, rhino conservation and uh, the proposed request and decision by South Africa to uh, request CITES for a one-off sale of their rhino horn cash and stockpiles. This decision leads to major confusion and lack of clear guidance by the international regulatory body, especially coming so soon after the CITES meeting in Bangkok last March. All the various rhino conservation efforts, having finally sensitized or at least sensitizing the world to the plight of rhinos and the problems of the illegal trade, what would be the message to have governments ask to be able to sell rhino horn legally? South Africa has won accolades for conservation internationally, including their heroic efforts to save rhinos. Their, uh, South Africa is home to 75% of the world's rhinos. If South Africa cannot save its rhinos, then that doesn't leave a lot of hope for rhinos elsewhere. South Africa has done a lot of good. But will they simply be throwing away all that in pursuit of 11 billion rand? What about the loss and cost of selling out and selling off their international goodwill? In today's world, that's a very big price to pay. There are dangers in legalizing the international trade in rhino horn without understanding the uncertainties. These include whether South Africa and the international regulatory bodies uh, 
are able to regulate the trade and particularly to keep illegal rhino horn out of the trade. It's also interesting to note that no countries, even China and Vietnam, have expressed an interest in importing legal horn or in setting up mechanisms to control it. The Worldwide Fund for Nature, WWF, states that while anti-poaching measures require a lot of investment, legalizing the horn trade would require even further investment, particularly to establish, excuse me, to establish a regulatory framework. Legalizing the trade is simply not a feasible approach until these mechanisms have been addressed. And if South Africa wants to uh, propose that the 2016 CITES COP16-17 meeting for a one-off sale of their riding, uh, rhino horn stockpiles, I don't think and many experts don't think that two years is enough time to implement uh, these this mechanism and this framework to establish a, a working mechanism to track and understand a legal rhino horn trade. The end consensus of the international community has cautioned against trying to legalize the trade when doing so carries so many unknowns. But then again, a lot can happen in two years. We may, through public pressure, on-the-ground awareness, be successful in saving rhino from the brink of extinction, uh, close down the black markets and the medicinal trade through education and awareness, or they may simply be gone by then. I guess we'll have to wait and see. But I do urge everyone to stay up and check out, search the web, and read up on this issue because it's a big one and it's going to change the future of wildlife and wildlife conservation. One last note on this, in the eight days after the legislation announcement by South Africa, another 19 rhinos were killed, bringing their total this year to 480 killed for their horns. Only 140 people have been arrested for the crimes so far this year. So in order to manage and create a legal trade in rhino horn, what are we going to do in terms of the judiciary and policies and political goodwill and public goodwill to bring about a sustainable trade in rhino horn? If currently uh, South Africa's current raise, uh, argument is that Rhino are being killed for their horn. So in order to save the species, they should legalize the market to protect the survival of the species. But once again, if we can't control the illegal market and we don't have a mecha mechanism to control a legal market, what are we going to do? So this is a big issue. I urge you all to stay on top of it. You can visit our Facebook page um, or visit the Great Rhino Debate on uh, Facebook or follow us on Twitter and our website at uh, www.wildeyes.org. To learn more about the rhino trade, illegal markets, and rhino gold, you can also listen to our episode with Ju on Our Wild World with Julian Rademeyer, uh, author of the book Killing for Profit. You'll find out a wealth of information about the depth and breadth of the current rhino horn trade, illegal trafficking in wildlife, and many experts' views and opinions and the understandings about what is currently happening with rhino across the world. 
So on the heels of this not-so-great news, on the other hand, there are amazing strides being accomplished on the ground to provide Rhino with a high-tech defense, treating the horns with a toxic dye that will severely affect the human who ingests it. Along with this, there is also an education and poster outreach in the villages where the syndicates gain the poverty-ridden people to do their dirty work, that is, go out and kill the rhino, so that these people, the poachers, gain awareness that their intended victims, the rhinos, will, even after at death, fight back. You can learn more about this method through on Facebook and following the Rhino Rescue Project. They have gone about injecting this toxic dye into many rhinos throughout South Africa, and now they've moved into Kenya. And this is an exciting breakthrough in a way of allowing, or not allowing, that's a really bad word to use, um, enabling rhino to keep their horn. Uh, the horn turns bright pink once it's been injected with a dye. It does not hurt the rhino, but it does hurt the people who kill and intend to use the horn in the black market for medicinal or traditional uses, which is gaining wide popularity throughout Asia, Vietnam, China, and uh, specifically as their uh, populations gain the economic ladder. It's not really so much in terms of traditional use anymore, but it's a status symbol. So we have two ways to look at this. The uh, proposed legal trade in rhino horn to feed this market and perhaps save the species or find a way to continue to protect the species without legalizing the horn through education, awareness, and protecting the rhino itself through uh, poisoning uh, their horns for the person who would ingest it. It doesn't hurt the rhino. This method method of uh, making the horns toxic has a real possibility of changing the mindset of the middlemen, those who take the risks to kill the rhino, which will affect the syndicates who can't sell the toxic horns. So do check out the Rescue Rhino Project on Facebook and their website um, and follow on the incredible work they're doing. The education awareness programs that are being put into effect to alert the potential on-the-ground poachers is also critical. Both projects, the education, awareness, and the uh, dye work in the field, the toxic dye injections, do need your support. So once again, I urge you to uh, do some research, check the web, follow us on Facebook, and see what is out there that is helping conserve rhino and helping to change public perceptions about the use of rhino. And hopefully between a worthless horn on the commercial market will highlight the fact that it is not worth a human life to kill the animal and the syndicates will eventually be affected. Legalizing the trade in rhino horn or ivory or any wildlife for that matter for economic gain is a genuine dilemma. We all know that conservation efforts, education, creating and implementing solutions has very real associated economic financial costs. One-off sales in a perfect word, world could offset these costs by providing the funds that, uh, which would actually be sequestered and used to ramp up awareness, ground security, education, and reduce poverty and increase public health. But from history, we can see that in our current quest for financial wealth, this solution may well backfire, as it has done so far. 
One-off sales of this nature only increase the demand for these products to the point that wildlife crime and illegal trade has become entrenched and embedded and as organized as any other syndicated black market crime. Arguments and debates on both sides of the issue are heated, passionate, and convinced of the rightness of each decision. And this is where we are stuck. This is the line where decisions must be made and hard questions about who and what we are and where we will be as a species draw the uncrossable line in the earth. The core issue at bottom here is how we go about defining what is the goal of conservation. There are as many conservation efforts and organizations out there as there are people who want to make a difference. The majority of the themes of conservation belong to the Western world, and that model, which is outmoded in its thinking and definition, has come to a point where it must change. A postmodern model of conservation is required, and there is a whole school of thought, study, research, data, and conversation going on, and this is the fundamental shift, the paradigm shift that is happening, and it is this shift that is causing much of the conservation of today fail, as well as it will be its shining light and hope for the future. We need a new model, and we're going about creating new solutions. Our human omnipresence and power call for more humility and responsibility, which is, in the end, the ability to respond, to not give us license to do whatever we wish, wherever we want, whenever we can. We would do better to be small-footed and big-hearted and nourish the earth, increase our compassion footprint, uh, nourish the earth's lives and ourselves. We are, as a people and a species, extremely skilled at denying what is happening right in front of our eyes, including what we know about the amazing cognitive, emotional, and moral capacities of animals, and the pain and suffering they endure at our whim. We are in the age of the great disruption, the age of mankind. We may survive as a species, as might a large part of nature, but life as we know it is changing. Will we be looking back, wishing that we had heeded the call to no longer ignore nature? At present, we're simply running out of world. We are creating a world that is so technologically and socially complex that perhaps we can't control it. Wouldn't it be the smarter, more intelligent move to slow down and see what we've got and solve some of these pressing issues, rather than ignore and redecorate nature in incredibly self-serving ways, as if we're the only species who matters? It should not be all about us, but we are also in the age of enlightenment. We are learning that animals are consistently telling us what they need. By result of our actions, we can see we have created an unfriendly atmosphere for other life forms and non-human beings outside of us. When did we fully and perhaps without intention or consciousness begin to ignore nature? Why did we start ignoring our need for untainted and healthy food, clean water, clean air, and reasonable shelter? How did we become so disconnected from nature and an understanding of basic ecological processes? What allows us to tolerate human-induced losses the world over in our biodiversity, in our health, and in our relationships with one another? What is it in us that allows us to be so destructive? These are the big questions with answers so difficult to isolate uh, 
But these are the ones that we have to answer to move forward in a new and enlightened way of conservation and working with the species we live with. Clearly, in the current hustle and bustle world that we have created for ourselves, especially in the Western world, it's easy to ignore nature as we run about here and there, often not even knowing the why of what we're doing. Being removed from our own daily lives makes it highly unlikely we'll have any meaningful appreciation of our ways and the wide-ranging consequences they've presented. Getting in touch with ourselves, which we are doing, as you can see by the many social movements, animal awareness movements, whether you want to call it animal rights or animal welfare, and conservation, as we start working together across science, philosophy, medicine, uh, zoology, biology, and the public, as we start working together, we can find wide-ranging solutions to our current problems. People are also influenced by their failure to recognize that what they do does make a difference, whether it be positive or negative. Our doomsday thinking that there's nothing we can do to turn things around, our lack of long-term goals and current models of vision that fail to recognize future generations really do rely on our goodwill, the efforts and plans that we ourselves may not live to see. Our ever-increasing quest for instant gratification, our recent laziness in speciesistic thinking, that is, that we are higher or better than other living beings. This anthropocentric view has been enough to depress entire communities and populations into being unmotivated to do anything. But this is the wrong response, for we must do something and we must do it now, not when it's convenient. As Zoe Well calls it, we need to overhaul our education system from the groaning basics of reading, writing, and arithmetic into creating generations of solutionaries. I really like that word, solutionaries. You can see Zoe Well's talk, TED Talk, on uh, YouTube, and it's it's worth watching. It's engaging, and it uh, helps us shift some thinking to look at the challenges that we are facing and how deep these uh, patterns and habits that we have are in our basic structure of how we go about raising our children and dealing with ourselves and our society. We've created a culture here in the West where it's easy to deny what's happening or to let others do something about it for us. It's not my fault. It's not my problem. I'm busy, busy, busy just trying to get by. Passing the buck is easy and we all do it if it helps us avoid thinking about the ethics of our actions or inactions. The facts are that each and every one of us is at fault and each and every one of us is the shining light in our future and each and every one of us can make a difference. We are all humanity collectively responsible for the destruction or reimagination of our world. What we face and equally is responsible for the future we create. Okay, I'll be right back with some more after the break. Once again, if you'd like to join in in the conversation, call in at 1-866-472-5788 or visit us, uh, uh, send us an email at wildize at wildeyes.org. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. We've been talking today, highlighting some of the incredible strides that are being made on the ground uh, and through public perception and public uh, policy and political policy about uh, the forward movements in animal welfare and animal movements and conservation on the ground as all these differing uh, movements, social movements, start working together. This is an incredible stride forward as opposed to each one working in a vacuum. We're starting to talk to each other. And I've covered this over the last several episodes, which you're welcome to download and listen to uh, on Our Wild World about how these changing shifts, this changing paradigm will work together for us and it's a reason to be positive about what's going on in our world. Um, furthermore, uh, I'd like to 
highlight a bit more following on what I've been talking about, about humanity is collectively responsible for the uh, future we face. The psychological barrier we've erected justifying our superiority and exceptionalism, religious proclivities, economic contingencies, e.g. it's too expensive to care and make changes, political alignments, dogma, all factor into our negativity, but they can also all factor into our positivity. The Anthropocene, the geologic age of Homo sapiens sapiens, has unprecedented effects on the world as we once knew it with consequences that are today showing themselves to be unpredictable and perhaps even unknowable. But it's rarely today through a lack of data that results in missed in opportunities to preserve the biodiversity that surrounds us and decisions about who lives and who dies, including different cultures, animals, and ecosystems, can be uh, un- not understood. Sorry, but It is important to know that science alone will not provide all the answers. It takes people. It takes us to act and be a part of our world. We are in the painful processes of shaping new models that rethink and reimagine our old ones. New methods of how we define what conservation encompasses, what schooling, education, social movements, and mindsets have to do with changes in beliefs that come from a combination of personal psychological readiness and a deeper social and cultural shift in the underlying zeitgeist, that is, belief systems and the norm. This shift to accept that conservation is about people. We can do nothing without this consensus, cultural, religious, spiritual, scientific, sociological, political, and scholarly, to journalism, media, and philosophy. The other side of this paradox is that if our species was born of a rich, of a world rich with animals and biodiversity, can we flourish in a planet where the life has been decimated? Our new models will be a cultural conservation with deep internal shifts about how we view each other and the rest of the world. So, what is it we are doing to ourselves, our planet, the other species we live alongside and depend upon for our survival? And why are we doing this? Or perhaps the better question is, why are we ignoring the fact that we're doing this? Individuals are compassionate. Societies in the group mind not necessarily so until confronted with a crisis, and for some strange reason we find ourselves compelled to help, yet cannot sustain this for very long or only until the next crisis takes the headline, which seems to be happening more and more frequently. Is this because that the crises are more frequent, or because in our search for news and our technology we are now able to see the scope of it all? Nowhere seems to be untouched by us, and once again, do we, as we gain access, it often ends in exploit, exploitation of the newest discovery, which many times leads to decline. So this new model uh, and wildlife TV and wildlife groups and social awareness movements are going about changing the paradigm to understanding that our technology and our new discoveries can lead to a better world for all of us and our other species that we live alongside of. As Carl Sagan said, and this is a really uh, important quote, anything else you're interested in is not going to happen if you can't breathe the air and drink the water. 
Don't sit this one out. Do something. You are, by accident of fate, alive at an absolutely critical moment in the history of our planet. We can be solutionaries, each one of us. We can be the diviners of a new world, a new perspective, and be the human beings we think we can be and that I believe and feel we are meant to be. If this is the stage that humanity, humanity is going to be stuck in, the one we're at right now, where uh, it seems to be all about us and the me generation, at least in postmodern Western culture, we have another think coming. This is not sustainable and I feel and I think everybody out there and especially folks that I talk to, we're all noticing that things just seem a little too hectic. We're in living in an accelerated time space where there's no time to sit back and enjoy the fruits of our labors. We're so busy hustling and bustling for the next big thing to create security for our families, to uh, create uh, careers and professionalism as opposed to a way of life. Uh, we are at a point, and this is what I've been talking about, and this is what I'm trying to highlight, that we are at a tipping point. Not only are species around us facing tipping points of extinction, but we are facing the tipping point of a paradigm shift. And if you want to look at it, we can face extinction, or we can do something about it by uh, engaging in new and positive and effective relationships with each other and with the world around us. The other day I was watching the remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still. With all its fancy special effects, does it really take hitting the precipice of decision of life versus sudden and total obliteration for us, human beings, to realize the destructive path we're on? We cannot count on some alien, unearthly, compassionate life force to save us. So once we finished sweating and congratulating each other, we can take a deep breath and say, whew, that was close. Then just shrug our shoulders and go back to business as usual. Or will the lesson stick? They don't talk about the day after the earth stood still. Why can't we make this lesson stick all by ourselves? What prevents us from evolving, nurturing ourselves and selecting for the best overall of a compassionate footprint? Take ourselves by the bootstraps and say now, right now, not 10 years or 5 years or 1 from year from now, but right now, say this is not acceptable. I honestly believe we are on this shift, but uh, how much time do we have left for the rest of the world around us? So we'd better get a little busy, educate our children, engage our communities and our neighbors, each other, our loved ones, and our uh, teachers, and be teachers to bring about a shift in how we live. The bright side is there are enough of us. To do this, 7 billion plus, estimated to be 11 billion by the year 2050. There are enough of us to turn things around, just as equally there are and have been enough of us to get us into this mess in the first place. Yet we are still challenged by repeating history over and over. We are stuck and entrenched in a narcissistic mindset, at least in postmodern culture, and this is the model we're passing around to the rest of the world, like it's the biggest, best, brightest thing to hit the, hit uh, our, our, our species 
in, in the history of the world. But, like the tantrum of a spoiled child, we seem intent on also throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Furthermore, we are passing off this Western cultural ethic uh, to be the model elsewhere. Elsewhere, The good news is that there is a whole world outside the West that isn't swallowing this model anymore. There is a groundswell of movements, conservation, animal movements, whether you want to call it animal rights, welfare, or safety, that are making decisions that are sweeping us into the future. The Anthropocene, the epoch of man, is not yet over, and there are plenty of forward-thinking folks out there guiding the way. As I'd mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago, there are huge strides being made in how we relate and understand uh, and give rights to the other beings that live with us. India has recently passed legislation uh, giving dolphins personhood and banning their captivity. Dolphins, we know through many, many, many years of research, are highly sentient, intelligent uh, beings. They have social structures. They have uh, a lot going on in their lives, just as we do. This is paving the way to redefine how we look at and what rights we give to those that are not human. So, in light of this episode, I'd like to mention some really great reads that will help provide you with some good news and positive outlooks that will educate as to where we've been, which will help us face the transition and challenges before us. So, I'm just going to list uh, some of these books and films, um, and uh, you can come back and download the episode and write these down. A good film is Congo, White King, Red Rubber, Black Death about the exploitation of uh, the Congo for rubber and how long this lasted. This exploitation really didn't end until the 1960s. Another great book is King Leopold's Ghost by Adam Rothschild. Once again, a great uh, documentary but reads like a novel and a thriller about what happened in Congo. And that one, uh, let's see, there's another great movie called Bamako by a Senegalese director and this one covers female circumcision from the village and the woman's perspective. It's a great film, it's funny in its moments and it is just so Africa. Another great film in terms of us understanding how much we depend on our animals in our daily lives is earthlings. It's for the good and the worse. Some other great novels uh, that bring and highlight changes of, of, in our perceptions and how we live with wildlife are uh, Man Eaters of Savo, Ghosts of Savo, and Horn of Africa. And to wrap up today's uh, Our Wild World, I'd like to let you know that next week we're taking this show on the road. I'm taking a road trip through Yellowstone, Montana, and the Dakotas, and we'll be bringing you the voices of travelers we meet along the way. So be sure to tune in next week for Our Wild World on the Road. And uh, you're always welcome to send us an email at wildize at wildeyes.org. Visit our website, www.wildeyes.org, to learn more about the projects uh, that we fund and support, that you can help fund and support to make conservation 
uh, progress even more effective on the ground and to simply learn about the issues that are going on in our wild world. So uh, in the meantime, I hope you have a great week. You can also follow us on Facebook, uh, Ellie Weiss or Wild Eyes, and you'll see a lot of links to other intriguing and newsworthy Facebook pages that are dealing with bringing awareness of our wild world to the world. Uh, in general. So uh, you can also follow us on LinkedIn and the discussion groups, and I look forward to hearing from you. So in the meantime, have a great week and step out into our wild world. Take a deep breath, touch the grass, and think about where we're going, where we've been, and how we can make our wild world and our world a better place for everyone. Thank you. This is Ellie Weiss, and we'll see you next week from the road. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.